0: Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world? I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us and this is The Mindful Marketplace. Welcome back to another edition of The Mindful Marketplace. i love to welcome you here whether you are a long-time listener, uh, and when I say long-time I mean We've been around about a year, so (laughs) whether you're a year long listener or whether this is your very first time with us, if this is your first time, uh, just so you know, on this program, we talk to entrepreneurs, um, advisors, Mm -hmm. industry leaders, investors and economic experts who are not only making a profit, but who are doing their part to create more sustainable, equitable and democratic economies along the way. It's where we learn how to connect our money and our time to our values, our community, and ourselves. Today, we'll be speaking with Amanda Claypool, who is a writer and a consultant who has been writing some really fascinating work on Medium. And I'm very excited to dig in with her about what she's learning and her experiences here. But first, we're going to hit on the balance sheet which is the assets, liabilities, debts, and investments either towards or away from what we call a mindful marketplace. And a mindful marketplace really, like I said before, is more of a direction than it is a place. So first, the assets. One asset that I want to hit on is an organization. With one of its founding members located here in Buncombe County called Neighborhood Economics. So Neighborhood Economics mobilizes entrepreneurial possibility in disenfranchised neighborhoods through a reimagined and liberative economy. Neighborhood Economics works alongside communities that have been denied access to power and privilege to build regenerative local economies. They believe that when connection points and resources work through equity and empowerment, things can truly change. So you should check them out um, and see how you can get involved at NeighborhoodEconomics.org. Now in the liabilities column, um, one of the biggest liabilities to creating a mindful marketplace, I believe, is the consolidation of banks. And we did just hear recently from the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen that it's likely that smaller banks are going to see more consolidation happen. She also says that she expects there to, quote, be issues in the commercial real estate sector, given the changing approach to work. Next column is debts, debts that stand in the way of the mindful marketplace. So a recent uh, survey asked the question, what would Americans do to be completely debt free? And the survey finds that they would give up social media for a year, they would spend a night on a remote island and even go without internet access. The survey found that 56% of people who owed debt do so more so for necessities than for quote, nice to have items. When they were asked what people would do if they woke up debt-free, 32% would add money to their emergency fund, 27% would purchase their dream home, and 26% said they would take a long-awaited vacation, while others said they would pursue a different career, start their own business, finance their children's education, and quote, help their parents with their debts. A third of respondents said that debt stood in the way of making significant life changes, such as buying a home or a car and setting up their child savings. And people who are seeking support to manage their debt are out there. However, only 29% of people felt very confident in their ability to pay off their current debts on time. And while we're on that subject, just a reminder that the Mindful Marketplace has partnered with local financial tech company, Quility, to provide our listeners with a free consultation and customized report on how to best eliminate personal and business debt. So you can go to mindfulmarketplaceshow.com and click on Eliminate Debt to get your free report. Last column is Investments Towards a More Mindful Marketplace. So there are, you may know about what are called investment funds. There are about 10,000 investment funds in the U.S., um, but ones that focus on local businesses and allow grassroots investors to participate in those funds probably actually number fewer than three dozen across the country. But a new model promoted by the National Council for Community Capital and Cutting Edge Capital could radically expand the number, size, and impact of neighborhood funds. This model is what's called a diversified community investment fund, or or DCIF. C, D-C-I-F. Basically, a DCIF is a pri- is is primarily a fund of real estate projects that also allocates up to 40% of the capital for businesses using the real estate. This structure allows a community to raise capital for the fund using investment crowdfunding. So you can learn more about this exciting new model by going to the Cutting Edge Capital website and reading the article on it there. So, all right, that's the balance sheet. I am pumped to get to talk to Amanda here. Amanda Claypool, welcome to the Mindful Marketplace. Glad to have you on here today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I am really um, excited to talk to you because I know that you've been writing a bunch of pieces on Medium. In fact, I believe you said you're doing one every day right now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so for the month of June, I set a personal challenge to write an essay a day. Um, So I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and I start typing. And by the end of the day, I publish a new article.
0: Wow. (laughs) uh, I've gotten up at 5 a.m. a few times, uh, but I'm usually not in a space where I can uh, write anything (laughs) at that point point of the day. So I'm very impressed by that. And we're going to dig into a few of the pieces you've had that have really started to gain some traction and I think are really fascinating. But first, I know you, you moved to Asheville not too long ago and we all know Asheville is a, you know, a town of transplants in a lot of ways, but your story of getting here, it didn't seem like it was your intention to come to Asheville. Is that right? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, no, I had no intention at all of moving to Asheville. I actually had, you know, a life and and career in in Washington DC. And right before the pandemic, I decided to pack up and move back home to upstate New York. Um, and have been kind of on a journey since then to figure out where I'm going to end up. Um, and so around this time last year, I packed up my Subaru Outback. I had converted it and was living in it full time. Um, and I was on my way to Austin, Texas. My plan was to move to Texas. And I ended up here in Asheville and I haven't left.
0: That's great. What was it that uh, made you decide to abandon uh, Texas and you know set up roots here, at least for the time being?
1: Um, so for one, the climate here is pretty nice. Um, <laughs> being from the Northeast originally, I, I do like um, the mild climate here. Um, but the big draw for me was actually the people. This is the first place I've ever lived where there's a genuine sense of community. People are very authentic and and welcoming. And it's just such a reprieve um, from other places I've lived, especially in Washington, D.C.
0: Yeah, I imagine that's a bit of a culture shock. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah i uh i moved down here from metro detroit and i definitely felt that a little bit but uh, dc i feel like is on another level
1: yeah so it it was just it's a nice it's a nice change change of pace for me so i I really love it here
0: yeah and i think you and i were talking about how it's also one of the fastest growing places especially for remote workers you wrote a piece on that is that right
1: yeah. So actually, I think LinkedIn just published um, a data set last week where Asheville is ranked number two uh, in the country for remote workers right now. And I can see why. There's a there's a lot of draw to come here, especially with the community that exists here and all the resources for remote workers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I do want to start digging in with you about one of these articles that you wrote, and that was within this last month. It was as part of this 30-day um, kind of challenge you set for yourself, um, if I remember, or maybe it's it's outside of that if I'm saying that incorrectly. But um, you, it was a really fascinating piece where you actually did what a lot of people, I think, um, might not do just for an essay. <laughs> you actually took a job um, and you wrote about that experience and you took that job in the service industry. Um, tell me a little bit about first, what made you decide that this was something you wanted to write about?
1: Yeah, so um, as part of my whole transition out of Washington, D.C., I decided to do a cross-country road trip in 2021. Um, So I was, again, living full-time in my Subaru Outback, um, driving around the country. And everywhere I went, there was signage begging people to work. I remember going to a Planet Fitness in Bozeman, Montana, and they had a piece of paper taped to their um, front door that they were paying like a $1,000 sign-on bonus for someone just to come work uh, the front desk at Planet Fitness. And that just really struck me as as very interesting. There just seemed to be a lack of workers. Um, And so I was really just, I'm a curious person. So I was really curious to understand if if that was actually true and what was happening. Um, So I started applying to a bunch of different um, service industry jobs here in Asheville. And I had honestly some challenges in the the application process. You know, when I applied to McDonald's, for example, the AI chatbot they use couldn't figure out how to schedule me for an interview. Um, So there's there's a lot of friction in the application process right from the get go. Um, But eventually I landed on a job at Waffle House. um, And so for about four months, I worked as a server during the breakfast shift um, working at Waffle House.
0: Why did you choose? you know, fast food or, you know, kind of the, the economy, um, economic, I'm not sure how to say it exactly, but the, you know, fast food or cheaper um, service industry, what was it about that that you wanted to explore and you were curious about?
1: So I have a thesis about fast food and and cheap stuff in general and how it relates to the economy. And I think the cheaper something is the more people are being exploited in the supply chain. Um, So if you buy a shirt, that's only $5, right? somewhere in the world, someone had to make that shirt to make it profitable for a company to sell it. So it probably was made, you know, in a a factory somewhere in Asia, um, maybe using inhumane labor to produce it. And so I think the same is true with fast food and low cost things here in the US. The lower um, a person is paid on the pay scale, you know, the more their their labor is being exploited. So I deliberately set out to work a difficult job that people really don't seem to want to work. And that seems to be the, the um, front lines of the labor shortage. Um, but I really wanted to understand the economics of it and to see if I could make the math work for myself um, to see if these were actually viable jobs that people could, could work and live off of.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So what was your initial experience? I know in your piece, you mentioned that you really actually enjoyed the work.
1: Surprisingly, yes. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time sitting at a desk in front of a computer and I think anyone who spends a lot of time in front of a computer can relate. Um, it's just, there, there's a nice um, break when you when you get to do stuff with your hands and, and I like talking to people and I'm very social. So even though there were parts of it I didn't like, right? Like no one likes cleaning bathrooms, no one likes you know sweeping and mopping floors, but I liked talking to some of the, the uh, regular customers. I liked you know, seeing a smile on their face when I brought them their food, and they were really happy. Um, and so it, it was—it was a nice break to have time. Um, I only worked once a week, but have that time once a week to interact with normal people, have conversations with them, and not just be facing a computer screen all day
0: yeah absolutely i know i actually used to work in the service industry and uh, myself i was it wasn't at a waffle house it was at like a fancy steak uh uh you know restaurant but i was bussing tables but there's there is something about getting to work with new people every day you know i think there's something very connecting about food you know allowing to really share that experience with someone and and provide that for them but i guess what did you you know when your initial idea for going into this was to you were curious about this worker shortage situation and especially in those service industry jobs what uh you know what did you end up finding out what were some of your biggest takeaways
1: it was really eye opening for me so when i wrote the piece i didn't realize this wasn't common knowledge but um servers are still only paid around 2 dollars an hour so at waffle house my um my paycheck was $2.92 per hour. So everything else came from tips. Um, and, and the minimum wage for tipped workers is only $2.13. And that hasn't been increased since 1991. Um, and so the the bulk of my profitability, if you, if you look at, you know, labor as, as a business proposition, the bulk of my profit, profitability, working at a place like Waffle House came down to tips, well, there's, there's a fundamental problem with that. And it kind of gets to what I was saying before about um, kind of low low wage and low value um, uh, industries. And it's that the Waffle House dinner menu, you know, it's, it's not a steakhouse, right? You're not going to be ordering mm-hmm. fancy cocktails. You're not going to be ordering like giant T-bone steaks. The average, you know, price of a, a meal at Waffle House is maybe 10 to $15. So it's a volume game. Um, and there's only so many tables you can serve within, a, you know, an hour. Uh, for me, I think is like, Three or four, maybe, um, if it were packed. And so there's only so much money you can earn at a place like that, and it makes it really difficult um, to get out ahead. So what I took away from this experience is, you know, you hear all, all the time people who live paycheck to paycheck and they're really struggling, and that's especially true um, with white collar workers who have you know biweekly paychecks. But what you might not realize if you're removed from service industry and you haven't worked an hourly job, in, in a good amount of time, is that a lot of these people are living day by day. Tips by tips. Um, so whatever you mm-hmm. earn during your shift, like that's how you're paying. You know your your gas. That's how you're buying groceries for that that night's dinner, and that's how you're paying rent. Um, and so it, it's really hard to leave those jobs and choose something else because you're trapped in this this place where you really depend on your day to day labor at these establishments.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that before. Where instead of being paycheck to paycheck, you're literally cash today to cash tomorrow.
1: Yeah. And so one of the things I'm a total nerd. Um, So one of the things I did is I create a spreadsheet to track my hours, um, how much money Mm -hmm. I I brought home, you know, my average tipped rate. And so I didn't actually start generating cash flow until my fifth um, shift. So the first couple of shifts I was training, I wasn't earning any tips, the server who I was training with, those were all her tips and rightfully so. Um, so I didn't start earning any tips until my fifth shift. Um, and so you're not making much money. Um, and so if if I wanted to leave that job and that was my only source of income, it's really hard to come out ahead because I was already in arrears when I started, right? Like I had to pay for my gas to get there. I had to buy special shoes, non-slip shoes to to work there. And there's all these like little costs that you don't think of with these jobs, but they really add up when you're only making, you know? Seven, ten, fifteen dollars an hour.
0: Yeah. You, you said in your article, I believe that it was surprisingly expensive to have a job there uh, yeah. or just really anywhere. Not, not, you know, we're not, we're not singling out Waffle House. That just happened to be where you were, where you were, but you said that you were surprised by just how expensive it was to work.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I think, people really have to take into consideration these days is we live in a gig economy, right? So if I were to work for, as an Uber driver, for example, my mileage and the gas is tax deductible. Um, that's not the case for, you know, someone working in a brick and mortar restaurant. And so that's that's a sunk cost. So if you take, I think it's like 60 cents a mile, the, the deduction, if you take that deduction and you multiply it by the amount of miles I had to drive every day, it was about nine, $10. Um, that I was forfeiting to go work at, at Waffle House. Um, some places charge their employees for different things. So um, some places might charge for your uniform. Waffle House actually charged for a meal credit. So it didn't matter if I ate at all during my shift, I was still deducted a $3.15 meal credit, um, which might seem like a bargain, I guess if you go to Waffle House a lot, but considering the fact that I was only making two ninety two dollars an hour, Basically, I worked a little over an hour for free to be able to to eat at Waffle House, and and that was a requirement. I didn't have a choice; topped out of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, you don't necessarily think about the extra costs, like the clothing that you may need, or any of that. You also said that you know this was your first time working more or less solely for tips, and you just said it was confusing.
1: Yeah. So in the past I've always worked, um, the industry jobs I've worked have been, um, like as a barista, for example, or counter service Mm -hmm. work. And so, um, those job categories aren't the same as tipped labor, right? So they're usually paid, you know, anywhere from 10 to $15 an hour. I, I spent a summer working as a barista in Jackson, Wyoming, and I made, um, my base pay was $16 an hour. And then on top of that, I made tips. Right. Um, and so it was really, um, confusing to me to understand how the tipping worked because legally, uh, even though I was only paid two ninety two an hour, legally, Waffle House had to make sure I took home at least seven twenty five because that's the minimum wage. Um, but it was never really clear to me how they they calculated that, right? So like cash tips are kind of invisible um, to the system. It's not like you're entering. Um, how much you're you're earning and in, in cash tips, and a lot of the tips I did earn at Waffle House were, were cash tips. So the system for how they calculated um, tips and how they adjusted uh, what they call a tip credit to bring me up to the 725 minimum wage was it was really uh, confusing at times. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I imagine that I know when I was doing that, it was like, I don't know what I how much like, you know, there was kind of, (laughs) uh, you know, people would tell you not not to not quite to declare everything that you had made in cash tips, just because you were just scraping by. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could keep those kind of un you know, kind of as cash rather than as kind of put into the into the system in that way. What did um. I feel like what did you know I feel like there's a lot of um, discussion and debate around tipping in general in our world there are some restaurants and usually more locally owned places that are now saying hey don't tip a, don't don't tip our people because we are paying them a living wage and we're putting that cost into the cost of food and then there's other places that are having their people rely solely on tips i guess now having actually been in both of those situations or at least in a variety of those situations, what has been your what did you learn from that?
1: My perception on tipping has totally shifted. I used to be the person who would just click the button, you know, when you you check out and they give you the option, just click whatever the default is and and go. Um but now that I've kind of worked work these jobs, both as you know a barista and then as you know a server at Waffle House, um, it's interesting to me, the disparity and how we value labor. So I always use coffee shops and Taco Bell as a great example of this. Um, if I were to go order a, a meal at Taco Bell, it's going to be really cheap. Um, the person's probably not making much more than minimum wage, but I'm not tipping them for that. Whereas if I go to a, a coffee shop um I'm usually going to tip them, but they're not really doing anything terribly complicated. In most cases for me, they're just pouring me a, a black cup of coffee. Um, so having to rely on tips and seeing how that impacts my own bottom line has really changed how I value labor. So you know, now when I go to a place like Waffle House, I'm deliberately tipping more because I understand you know, that a lot of these people are working really hard um, and, and they're doing the best they can and, and they don't always have the option you know, to leave or to find better work, like we think they do.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's an experience maybe everyone should have at some point. Whenever I see someone who's not treating their servers well, it uh, it, it ruffles my feathers because I've been there. You know, we we we've, we've been in that spot. Um, I do want to wrap up this convers- this half of the conversation. And we're going to do a two parter here with what you um what you learned on that initial question of that labor shortage. Of you know, I guess I- as quick as we possibly can. <laughs> I know it's a big topic, but. You know, what did you kind of learn or what were your biggest takeaways from that initial question that you had?
1: I I think they can be summed into three words pay your people. Um, You know, business is a privilege, um, and and choosing to go into the restaurant business is a choice. And I I think we have to have a conversation of what labor costs actually are. Um, Just because the minimum wage is legally $2.13 doesn't mean it needs to continue um, to be that way. So I I think, especially for business owners, if If they're struggling to attract workers, um, look, look at the dollars, um, that speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for doing that. I know, like I said before, I don't know many people who would actually go to that extent just to share that information and make it more easy to understand and available for people. Um, you should definitely go check out that article. I believe it got picked up by business insider. If I'm correct. Is that right, Amanda? Yes.
1: Yep. It was published on business insider.
0: Yep. So it's on her medium as well as Business Insider. Um, We are going to be back for a second half of this episode where we're going to talk in more detail about another incredible article she wrote. So please tune back in for that. You can also listen to this episode as well as plenty of others from the Mindful Marketplace on mindfulmarketplaceshow.com. But also please go to bizradio.us if you're not already listening on there and subscribe not only to this show, but we have so many other great hosts, all entrepreneurs all the time. We are an independent business talk radio network, and there's not many of those out there. Very grateful that I get to be a part of Biz Radio US here, and very grateful we got to have Amanda here on the show today. So join us next week for part two of this conversation. And until then, take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.